everyone. Welcome to Word on the Street 2021. Uh, my name is Anissa Crow. I am a member of the RRC and I am one of the co-hosts of this year's podcast. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to my other co-host, Omar. Go ahead and introduce yourself. All righty. Hi, everyone. My name is Omar Medina. Uh, I am also a worker at the Rainbow Resource Center at Santa Clara University. And I am the other co-host for Word on the Street this year. Very excited. And with us today, we have uh, one of the workers of the Office of Multicultural Learning, the OML. Heck, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I would. Hi, everyone. My name is Mahek. I am so happy to be the first special guest of Word on the Street. Um, this is our first episode, and I'm so excited to see what we have for everyone. Yes, uh, thank you for bringing that up. This is our first episode of the new year. It is October 15th while we're recording, uh, and it is a little bit different than our past podcast, being that uh, it is now a combination of the Rainbow Resource Center as well as the Office for Multicultural Learning. Uh, and it's gonna still keep talking about BIPOC issues and things that uh, center around that, as well as bringing in more LGBTQ plus issues and rights and media presenting sort of things, um, which brings us into what we're gonna be talking about this episode. This, this episode, we're gonna be talking about BIPOC and LGBTQ plus representation in TV and movies. So for this actual podcast, uh, I decided that one thing that I really wanted to talk about because I've been noticing it in popular media is the show You on Netflix. Um, it is very well acclaimed. People watch it. People watch a lot of it. Um, but there is some things that I started noticing a lot that uh, about the representation of our of BIPOC and LGBTQ plus characters that seemed to focus in, especially during that first season, on stereotypical sort of things. And so I wanted to talk about that and uh, bring to light that we can enjoy these types of shows, but we also have to look at it and how they're portraying people as well. Uh, and then Mahek, what, what else are you going to bring for our podcast? I mean, honestly, I think You is such a good example of a show that is in mainstream media. Netflix promoted the hell out of it and we've all seen it and it's easy to love it and get really caught up in how good the show is but I think with like you a lot of shows that we watch have a lot of problematic aspects to them that we have to talk about and we have to bring attention to and it doesn't it's not to say that it's not a great show but for viewers with marginalized identities like us, some of these things are so glaring and it makes it really hard to watch the show if you don't acknowledge it. So I just think like, let's start talking about it. Let's start talking about what it's like to watch TV that's not always catered for us. And let's talk about these issues and and then kind of shift to how, how do we fix these issues? Obviously we can talk about it, but what do we need to do to mitigate the issue and how do we get more of us on screen? How do we get more of us in production of these shows to minimize those issues? So let's talk about you. Yes, and especially because as I said, we were we're recording this on October 15th, which is the premiere of the third season, in which 
I'm personally curious if they're going to follow this pattern that I had noticed in the first two seasons, which I'll get right into right now. So in the also, if you are unaware, this is going to contain some spoilers for the first two seasons if you have not seen it. Uh, I will leave in the description what time that I stop talking about the show you and then go into a progress of other shows as well. So that you, just in case you haven't seen sure, it. And it's, uh... <laughs> Wait, what happened? <laughs> I said, oh no. I said, so considerate. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I something messed up. But okay. Thank you. I was just, I... Because, you know, some people just haven't seen it. They're not with the times. And I don't want to spoil too much for them. But um, For example, I have not watched you. <laughs> I know only the basic context around it. For example, I know that season three supposedly features a new kid that the main character has, which makes me very concerned for uh, their just psychological upbringing it's gonna be interesting I'm just here along for the ride as well <laughs> <laughs> for sure I could spend an entire episode talking about the psychological breakdowns and the induced trauma that is caused by a lot of just the characters themselves but especially the BIPOC and queer characters that we see on there um so getting into the first season uh some of the BIPOC and queer characters that we're introduced to is uh one of the first is Peach, who is Beck's best friend, uh, has some sort of manipulative obsession with her. Um, so Peach herself is closeted and is obsessed with Beck and is the appointed villain uh, in Joe's eyes because uh, she's trying to take Beck away. She's trying to manipulate her. She's doing all these things. And granted, in the show, yes, she is doing a lot of very wrong things taking pictures of her in like perverse ways and trying to engage with her in a sexual way that is like is it is perverse it is wrong it is humiliating it's like those sort of things however the way that the show turns that is basically uh playing on the stereotype of the bisexual villain or the queer coded villain in a lot of disney movies as well um, where you see a lot of individuals who are quoted this way as they're evil, not only because they're evil, but because they are gay characters. It is projected that this is wrong, this is evil, this is someone, especially as a bisexual woman, which also I want to note that it is never said what um, Peach's sexuality actually is, so I'm not assuming that she is bisexual, but it is, it's playing out that trope is what it looks like. Anyway, so Peach is playing in Joe's eyes, especially is seen as this evil character who is trying to steal Beck away from him because Beck is then seen as the pure white character who, the pure white woman who needs to be saved from BIPOC and queer characters. So, so Peach is automatically villainized. And I think a lot of what is villainized about her is her queer identity or the fact that she's closeted. And one big issue that I take with the show's approach to this, other than villainizing queer characters, is that um, Joe outs her to Beck. He straight up is like, you know she's obsessed with you, right? You know she's in love with you. 
And then it gets to this, it just tears it into a way to where it's like, you should be scared because this woman is attracted to you and you're going to get lured away from her because that's what people see, uh, especially a bisexual or pansexual woman as they're more promiscuous. They're, they're sexualizing. It goes into sexualizing them because of their sexuality and also sexualizing Peach because she is a BIPOC character. But um, as I share this, like, sort of stuff, is there anything that comes to mind for y'all? I mean, one of the things that is so heavily played into is obviously Joe is, like, the main character. And so we're following, like, why he's fearful of Peach and Beck getting so close. And his fear is that Beck is going to be turned, right? And that Peach, finding out that Peach is in love with her is going to turn her and make her interested. And that's like so commonly seen in TV where people just think that sexuality can just be turned like this or just changed at the drop of a hat or, you know, it's like, it's overlooking how serious of a, of a like realization or process or it kind of just minimizes someone's sexuality as like, oh, it could be changed or it could be like, who knows what's going to happen and this and that. And like it, I mean, yeah, I think the portrayal of Peach as a bisexual BIPOC woman is like in and out so problematic. And because she's one of this, like she's like a pivotal character in the whole story arc, her plot line is like pulled just to fit or her character is pulled just to fit the plot. And that takes away from like the the significance of her identity yeah exactly it's it's perpetuating that myth that like oh if you spend so, too much time you're gonna catch the gay like exactly like that like how uh a lot of people are like oh i don't want kids viewing queer relationships because they're like oh that's gonna turn my kid gay that's a ridiculous arc to take like it is not something you catch it's not a disease it is something you are born with and it is something that is personal to you and is nobody else's business. No, totally. As if it's like this horrible thing. Like what if Beck, if Beck was turned or not turned, if she did realize something about her sexuality in finding out that maybe she has feelings for, Pe for um, Peach as well, why is that such a horrible thing? Or like, why are we talking about bisexuality as if it's like, a disease or like it's something horrible that could happen to Beck when really that may be for the best if now this is giving her the opportunity to like explore a different side of herself maybe just because it doesn't fit Joe's agenda it's bad but yeah yes exactly if I could also add on again outside of perspective um I, I feel like it all um just contributes to like the whole uh bury your gaze trope um, and w which, you know, is just like, um, a gay or queer character is introduced only to suddenly, uh-oh, they're dead now. Um, and it's very interesting because I, I think about that and maybe, you know, the, the character didn't outright die, but, you know, they were still removed from the plot in general. Um, and it kind of reminds me, um, kind of going to, to broader as well, uh, briefly talking about, uh, other media supernatural um i was a huge huge fan of supernatural from cw um and i was honestly very disappointed because longtime fans know you know destiel uh some of the two main characters 
were, you know, said to have a lot of chemistry, like, oh my God, will they, won't they? And in one of the final episodes of the entire series, um, the character Castiel basically, no, he did. He proclaimed his love for Dean, um, the other part of the ship. And then literally 15 seconds later was, uh, you know, they died and were never seen again. Again, this was the final few episodes. So it's like, the fact that Castiel, who was a longtime fan favorite of the show, never came back again, it's very concerning, just to say the least. And again, just feeds into the barrier gaze trope. Yeah, and with the show, it actually does play into that trope because Peach does die. Joe kills her. Like, that is like a whole, like, in the entire time that he is, that entire scene is a is chaos as someone who was once closeted uh not like not to the point where I was like like that trope like oh you're closeted you're gonna be you're gonna build an obsession and try to keep your like fall in love with your friend I'm like my best friend and I are real close but we're not in love like that's not a trope that's not something that happens often enough that is portrayed in tv and especially to a point where it's manipulative and obsessed um but yes Joe eventually does kill Peach and the the conversation that they have before is, I don't have to out you. I don't have to, no one has to know. We could just go into basically threatening her. Like, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to out you. And your rich family is going to kick you out. They're not going to accept you. No one's going to accept you. Your reputation will be ruined. Like, basically playing all these fears that people are going to have a problem with your sexuality. And Beck is never going to love you. She's never going to come back to you. Like... It's just playing into her fear as well and also invalidating her experience in that sense. Mind you, I will say Peach is manipulative in the show. That's the point of her character is to be seen as the villain. And she does very manipulative and very harassment style things like watching her in the shower or watching her take a bath. But during the scene while she's watching Beck take a bath from outside of the room, um joe is also watching her watch um peach okay joe is watching peach watch beck take a bath and he's complaining he's like oh my god this is so perverse how dare she invade your space mind you joe's a stalker and like steals her like underwear and like st like steals her clothes and invades her personal life the entire time but all of a sudden because it is her queer friend it's perverse it's disgusting how dare she and he, that all leads up into why he ends up killing her in the end, killing Peach. You're then later back, but also, yeah. <laughs> but the kind of going off of that same um, uh, over-sexualizing individuals, this show does, does a thing where they over-sexualize basically every BIPOC character, especially in that first season. We see it with the first introduction of another friend of Beck's, who is Lynn. Uh, basically, she talks like, I think four times. She is an uh, Asian American woman. Uh, she, and basically all her talking points are sex. She has a dick pic collection and obsession with uh, phallic images, stuff like that. And she just contributes to like asking like, oh, send me pics of his, you know what, sending, like, send me those things. It's just a constant sexualization. And the only time that we see her interact with other characters is when she's flirting with them or just being like portrayed in a sexual light. 
Uh, that also goes into another theme that I've noticed between season one and season two is that Joe, search, his main focal point is always a white woman who is in need of saving, playing into his white savior role. Uh, that is often, when you're a white savior, you're portrayed in this way that you're doing good for BIPOC communities because you're so caring, you care about them so much, uh, such as like doing mission work in Africa, stuff like that, to where it's only serving you, it's not serving another population. It's so that you can feel good about yourself. So that is how he sees the way that he's taking care of these women that he's in love with. These white women are, they need to be protected, they need to be served, they, they're so dumb and dainty, like in this very sexist manner. And it takes it up another notch when um, anytime that he breaks up with his main love interest, he always goes after a, a BIPOC woman. It is in the first season, it's Karen Minty, who is a friend of his neighbor, Claudia, and, um, and is a Black woman. And part of what he does while he's uh, in a relationship with her immediately after him and Beck break up is talk about how sexy she is, the things that she does. He refers to her as, oh, she's a freak, like she's a freak in the sheets, like stuff like that, which historically plays into society's view of Black women especially, but also other BIPOC women. Um, this is known as, oh, heck, are you going to say something? <laughs> I was just going to say, like, the way that the BIPOC women come into this show and just make a feature and then they're taken out again, it's like, they're just being used, like by Joe, by the producers, they're being used to serve a purpose and then they're out. And the way that we see not just Joe, but also show people, characters in shows across the board, the love interest always being a white woman or a white man by not only white main characters, but also BIPOC characters, it plays into like, only white people are worthy of this like happy ending or like Joe only views white women as worthy of like endgame or worthy of his care or his attention. It not only plays into beauty standards, it plays into like, like just thoughts that a lot of us BIPOC women have in our head already of we're not worthy and we're not this or that. Seeing that on the big screen is like, affirming it in such a horrible way that it's subconscious this the whole way that Karen comes in and comes out and he's just using her because she's a freak and this and that it's not overt it's such a subconscious like subliminal thing that happens in the show and happens across shows across the board that that's even more dangerous that we're not able to acknowledge it until we have conversations like this that plays into our thinking of how we think of ourselves, how we think of white women, how we think of white men, all of this. And so, yeah, obviously Karen is like over-sexualized and she, and her portrayal is played into so many different stereotypes for black women, but mm -hmm. across the board, the, the general story arc that she has is seen so much and it's so problematic and we have to talk about it now. <laughs> Exactly. And it's it's these things that like it's seen in television and movies, it's seen in books, it's seen in any portrayal, it's seen in life. When we think about like school dress codes, like I don't know about y'all, but my high school, if you were skinny, blonde, 
and like didn't like you just naturally didn't have a shape just yet you do you were not dress coded you were only dress coded if you had a curvy body and those are generally like BIPOC like girls they're young girls that are of color so that like that whole arc that we see in television movies and in our school systems as well in just life in general is cult domesticity uh it is when specifically with black women black women were over sexualized and seen to be taken advantage of because they want it and also raped in order to create more slaves and that is a quote from uh andrea smith uh sexual violence as a tool of genocide um because it was seen that like, oh, you have these curvy bodies, these voluptuous bodies. And so they were sexualized because they had bigger breasts, bigger butts, like these big things that were like, oh, you're seen as an animal. And so you're, we're gonna treat you like that. So that also plays into how we affect these changes because even though that's not overtly what we do anymore, even though, yes, it is, but, um, you're, that's what a lot of sexual assault cases are based in because they're like, oh, they want it because look at how they appear. Look at their bodies. Look at how they're dressed. Like it all stems from those beginning roots of taking advantage of Black individuals. Um, and not only do we see that in Karen Menti and you, we in the first season, we see it again with Delilah in the second season. Uh, Delilah is Joe's... Uh, apartment manager and also again neighbor who after he breaks up with after him and love break up his love interest for the second season um he immediately tries to get over it with delilah who is uh, a latinx woman or latina why did i say it like that anyway uh <laughs> she is another character who is a bipoc character who is then sexualized only used for sex and only talked about in a sexy way uh so that Joe can get over his sadness over not being with the white woman who he wants to be with. It's just like, the fact that it happens twice in that show is like, it's just, it baffles me to see things like this in shows that obviously the two of us watched it separately and we noticed it. I'm sure a bunch of other people watching the show noticed it and nobody making the show thought that this is weird or problematic or like read into what this looks like or what it what ideas it reinforces it's like and the reason this stuff keeps happening is because there's no people of diverse identities in the production room in the writing process any because we're not involved in those spaces to voice these concerns and like these things that play into very real experiences that we have it's like, no, duh, it's problematic on the screen because you don't have anyone telling you that it's not. And you're just going to keep thinking these things are okay until someone makes you realize that maybe that's not a, a, as great of a plot line as you think it is. Like, it, there actually are underlying problems that you're not able to recognize because you are and always have been in a place of privilege. Beautifully put. And yeah, that is just what we see with the the women of this show, the BIPOC women, it goes even further that he does the same thing where his heroic art play, arc plays into his white saviorhood, where in the first season, you see him taking care of Paco, 
uh, this kid who's witnessing domestic violence every day and isn't treated the same because he's he likes books he likes he's not like a quote-unquote normal kid um so joe takes him under his wing to protect him and that's supposed to make us as the audience be like oh yeah joe's killing people he's hurting women but look how much he cares for this little brown child look how much he like wants to which again mimics that white saviorhood and like doing mission work in africa and the same thing is done again in the second season where uh, it's no longer Paco, but instead it's Ellie, another BIPOC child who he's actively, like, he, yes, he is actively trying to save her from a child abuser and a child molester, which, great, but also, how do the writers not notice you're doing the same arc again <laughs> with another so brown child? So stupid. I'm like, are you serious? Y'all really blind or what? <laughs> like, yeah, it's the same thing again it is the same uh okay what do we do for season one okay joe fell in love with a white woman gets over her with a bipoc woman saves this bipoc child all right what are we gonna do for the second season all right we're gonna do the same thing but we're gonna put it in la <laughs> so that now we're, we have more latinx characters stuff like that but yeah that is those are the things that i mainly wanted to touch on for this show um there is other stuff, but we can always go back into that for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that you, you is such a good example of a show that is written by white people for white people. And now that there's this growing attention generally towards diversity, they throw in a couple characters here and there and just throw in a queer story arc and throw in a queer character or a BIPOC character and just call it a day. But the larger shift that people are asking for is intention, right? We're asking for intentional diversity. We're asking for intentional plot lines that are speaking to real stories about queer people and BIPOC people that are like could actually happen and I think the larger issue is that they're throwing in diversity, but the overall audience hasn't changed. These companies and whatever that create these shows, their audience is still white people. So they're still just trying to cater to the same audience. Just now that white audience has this like, again, like white savior complex or like this white guilt and white fragility that just makes them feel like oh, like, yeah, I guess we are only watching white shit, so, or straight things, like, maybe, like, let's get a little more, and then this bare minimum is enough for them, but the problem is that that's still the same audience, and until you shift your perspective of who's watching your shows and, and add those people to the process of creating the shows and creating the movies, it's not going to be intentional and substantial. Yeah, I agree. It also plays into, so I am this quarter taking a uh, multicultural class focusing a lot on uh, uh, multicultural therapy use, but we had a chapter assigned re very recently on white fragility and the sort of things that um, white people don't consider very often when thinking about uh, their interpretation of people of color. And one of those things is that people so like maybe somewhere like in the midwest where there's not a ton of diversity a lot of people's only like 
instance of, oh, this is what a Latinx person is like. This is what a Black person is like through the media that they consume. So if they continue to get these stereotypical uh, storylines fed to them in these evil arcs and these just like, oh, the poor them, they're, they're in need, they're these, like these demeaning arcs, that is all they're going to think of people. And it's not going to change the things that we need to change. It's like just reiterating what you said. It's going to keep feeding the same audience the same things and nothing's ever going to change. So what do we need to see and what have we seen that may be good from uh, any of this media that we consume? This is something that I spoke about with our SCU's Frank Sinatra artist in residence, B.T. Wong, last week when he was, last week, the week before when he was here. Um, he obviously has been in so many shows across the board and right now he's working on Nora from Queens, which I think is like such a great example of good representation. What we talked about is when you just have this one-off character or one-off show that represents you or represents marginalized identities, there's so much pressure on that one character or that one show or that one movie to be perfect because that's all we have. And for me, like when I see South Asian characters on TV or South Asian shows, I am inherently thinking about it. Like I should be consuming this media for me and for myself. But the thought that's always in the back of my mind is how are other people going to see this show? Because as people of color, we have this burden of like everything we do and say represents our whole community because we're not white and white people don't. And when they interact with us, this is their impression of our whole community. So when I watch these shows, I'm like, well, what's a white person going to think? What's someone who's never interacted with a South Asian person going to think? And that ruins my experience of watching the show. I mean, this happened like over COVID, I was watching this show called Indian Matchmaking on Netflix. The show is really funny. It's a great show. I really did enjoy watching it with my family. But when I was watching it, I was thinking like, this is kind of like playing into a lot of stereotypes. And I just kept thinking what other people were thinking about it. And we went into it and delved into it into one of my anthropology classes that I took um, last year. And we broke down like what different things are actually problematic about the show, reinforcing all these stereotypes. And we just have such, such a desperate need for representation as BIPOC, as LGBTQ, as queer people. Like we feel so desperately to see someone that looks like us or has experiences that, like us that we really let a lot of things go just for the sake of representation. But we can't do that. We have to beg and strive for and demand positive representation because representation isn't good enough. Having someone on the screen who's just doing the same shit, for example, Mindy Kaling, who I have so many problems with, she gets up on the screen and reinforces these horrible stereotypes. Her show, The Mindy Project, Every character she's ever interested in is white. Everyone in the show is white. Any BIPOC character that's in the show like hits every stereotype that's ever been spoken about about them. It's like, 
why you're not doing us that great. Being on the big screen is not that great if you're not doing something positive. So I think from a viewer's perspective, like what we just said with you, we need to demand more. We need to demand good, positive representation, not just accept any representation that comes our way. And that's like a conscious effort we need to make. But I think that it's so, so important. Kind of going off of that, um, it, it's, it's really interesting that you, you both are talking so much about that because the biggest thing uh, that comes to mind, especially that came out recently, is In the Heights, um, which of course has a very, let's just say, interesting history, especially with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, like love him or hate him, like he has made big strides uh, in the terms of, you know, kind of a little more representation for Latin American communities. Um, and it's very interesting because kind of touching on some points, um, Mahek and Anissa, that you've talked about, um, I, I find it really interesting because I personally especially like the movie. Um, but with that being said, uh, Anissa, I think you said this at the beginning, it's very important to be extremely, <laughs> extremely critical of it. Um, one big thing, of course, being uh, the kind of anti-blackness in the production and the casting of uh, everyone who is in the movie. Um, and this is, of course, a huge, huge topic uh, in just like Latin American culture in terms of colorism that, you know, lighter skin tones are always much more, you know, kind of appreciated than darker skin tones. Um, but it, it's very interesting to kind of see it because I, I also think about it and it's like, this is uh, at least to my knowledge, the biggest American uh, film that has this amount of uh, Latinx representation, and yet it still has its shortfalls or its shortcomings, you know? So it's just very interesting to think, and especially, again, kind of um, going off of earlier, the, like, barrier gaze trope, one of the, you know, main... Um, main couples, Daniela and Carla, uh, they're, they're a gay couple, and yet they are kind of shoved to the background in favor of Usnavi and Vanessa, who are, you know, a straight couple. So it's just very interesting, because it's like, to some degree, I do think that the movie is very positive in its representation of, like, overall culture, especially here in America, um, in, you know, the community of Washington Heights, which the whole uh, musical and movie are based off of. But it's, again, just, you have to be very critical. And also, again, the heck, what you were talking about, we gotta demand more, because this, as of now, is the biggest thing that I can think of, um, at least in the United States, you know, kind of made by Hollywood and stuff like that, because everything else is made outside of Los Angeles, made outside of Hollywood. And that is quite frankly, not all the more better. Uh, the biggest thing that comes to mind are of course, telenovelas, which again, colorism, a lot of, you know, the cast and the characters that are in those soap operas are very, 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 very light skinned. Um, it is very rare that you see um, kind of darker skin Latinx folks in there. And when they are there, it's not in a good light. It's always they are 
gangsters, they are trying to rip people off, they are generally the bad guys, they're bad people, um, and it's just, oh my gosh, <laughs> long story short, Mahak, I very much echo that uh, sentiment. We need more, we need to demand more, we need to demand better. Yeah, and it's not about, like, just, it goes into, again, it's such a burden that we have to hold these people accountable, all these creators and whatnot, like, something B.D. Wong was saying in my class is that white people have such an array of content to choose from, they can filter through and say, okay, this is good, this is all right, this is bad, but as POC and from a queer perspective, like, there's not a lot to go off of. So every single thing we have needs, it gets so much critique and it's difficult to celebrate it. It's difficult to be happy about representation because obviously everything is inherently gonna have flaws, but at the end of the day, when you critique it because you want it to be better and you're demanding better, it's difficult to really celebrate what you have. And that is, it's such a burden on us to not be able to be happy with anything we get because it's not the best. And that's something that generally like white people don't have to deal with because everything is catered to them and for them. Yeah, it, you're right. Like that, it's you don't have to think too much if you're white. Like, I'm gonna watch this show, and I'm like, hey, does do any of these characters look look like me, or do any of any of these characters' sexuality represent me at all? Uh, so I want to like kind of pose the question. This is kind of going not off topic, but it's just like more of a personal note. What was y'all's introduction to seeing yourself on screen? Uh, for me, the first time that I saw a sort of queer character on screen and this wasn't even humans it was uh, an episode that i very vaguely remember but is in like in etched in my brain of courage the cowardly dog when the two cats like do okay do y'all know what i'm talking about what episode okay when the one cat i is think i do yes when the this cat who's representing a woman uh is running away from her abusive boyfriend who is a dog and at the end, she gets joined and runs away and falls in love with another cat, another woman. And I was like, I remember in my head thinking, I was like, you can do that? I was like, they're adorable. I love this. <laughs> but like, it wasn't even humans at that point. But like, that was my sexuality being validated somehow through, <laughs> through this cartoon of animals. So what was y'all's like, either BIPOC or like, uh, any sort of identity that you resonate with, what was your introduction in immediate form? Honestly, like I, my family grew up watching a lot of Bollywood films. So obviously everyone on the screen is South Asian and Indian and so am I. But obviously seeing that media is so different than seeing American media because that's where we live and that's inherently our culture too. So for me honestly the first time that I was able like all these shows that you grow up watching have like the one-off like Indian character that's always the butt of every joke is always the punchline and plays into every godforsaken stereotype that there is but the first positive form of media that I ever saw was honestly in like middle school when Priyanka Chopra got her show maybe it was high school Quantico and she transitioned from Bollywood to Hollywood and of course, there's a lot of problematic things going on with her. 
but to see someone that looked like me in the main character of a role and seen in a positive light like she's the character of the show was such a big deal and I and I don't know I mean obviously that show too is like kind of problematic but like seeing someone that looks like you and represents you for the first time is so impactful and it really wakes you up because then once you realize that you start realizing everywhere you're not right so yeah Omar how about you Oh boy, where do I begin? Um, I, I think just kind of starting off um, with my Latino uh, identity, Maya and Miguel on PBS Kids was absolutely iconic. Um, I will forever remember that show. It will always hold a dear place in my heart. Um, and along with that, we have, of course have to talk about uh, Dora and uh, Diego, um, who are also iconic in my mind, <laughs> um, especially when it came to like language learning, I think, because especially um, Dora and Diego were very focused on like interactiveness in terms of like language learning with Spanish. And then Maya Miguel had a lot of just like Spanish intermittent, like, uh, like constantly switching between languages. Um, so in terms of that, there's that one. Um, and for, for like being uh, queer, I, um, this was back when I like very much thought I was, you know, heterosexual to the max, um, but how to get away with murder. Um, I, I watched it at the beginning of high school, which did not make my mom happy because it definitely contained some NSFW themes. Um, but I think especially with uh, the main character, Annalise Keating, um, which, side note, Viola Davis, absolute icon. Um, but like she, you know, it, it was very confusing because it was never said outright that she was bisexual until like near the end of the show. I think the only time that it is like specifically said outright and said by uh, the character was in the very, very, very final episode. Um, so it was like kind of seeing that representation of like, well, she's married to a man, uh, but in the past she's like had relationships with women. It was very just interesting to see. Um, and especially, you know, being, you know, BIPOC and being bisexual, it's like, that's a whole nother world. And that's like, I, I feel in the show, it was very well portrayed of like the fear that the character had. Because um, it was like she, for the longest time, didn't want to admit it to herself, to anyone, but it was like, so she tried to keep that part hidden, um, mostly due to the fact of like, again, by that time she uh, was married to a man, and so, but then also like being Black, I feel, had a very big impact on her, you know, struggling with that part of her identity and struggling to come out um, until she finally like completely does it in the final episode. Um, so for me, those are, those are the ones. And then, um, kind of media in general, one, uh, that I was very, uh, interested in, and I continue to, you know, have a very soft spot for it in my heart. Um, they both die at the end by Adam Silvera, because that is the very first time that I saw number one, just like, uh, Latino queer characters, but then also specifically Latino bisexual 
characters. So it was like that kind of intersectionality and that overlap for me was like, holy shit, like I feel like seen like I never have before. Um, and, you know, it, it's very uh, just interesting because I, I have not seen a lot of, especially in the, the book and publishing industry, it's kind of grown. Um, in the last year, I forget it's, if it was 2020 or 2019, um, but Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas, which is, um, again, to my knowledge, the first book that features a trans Latino character. Um, and I, I, it, it's just blowing my mind, just like how much progress um, there's been, but also acknowledging again, that there is a lot more left to go off of. Um, but yeah, long story short, those are uh, the, the pieces of media that I believe have just been like, for me at least, they, they've kind of been uh, groundbreaking in terms of how I relate to them in my identities. I have a follow-up question. Um, honestly, like thinking about my first time seeing someone or like resonating with someone on a big screen makes me think of how like excited I get still today when I find people who look like me in spaces that I care about. Like when I, tell me if you guys feel the same way. Today, honestly, when I watch TV and I watch and I listen to music, if it's not created by a person of color, like I genuinely have no interest in it. BD Wong was speaking of this too in our class about like, if I turn on a show and it's all white people and all straight people, it's not for me. So I'm not going to watch it. Truthfully, today, when I go on my Spotify and like turn on music for like my walk to school or class or whatever, I find myself skipping over songs made by white people because I don't feel like it's for me. I don't feel like you made this for me and I don't feel like any connection to it. So I don't want to listen to it. And like, I feel like that with TV, with music, movies, all of it, like, if I don't resonate with who's in it or who created it, I don't feel like I have any business listening or consuming the media. Yeah, I agree, especially in media. Music, I don't, I'm trying to like think of it. I was like, do I really do that right now? And so far it's been happening more and more where I like will skip until I get to like a queer artist, especially, or because uh, a lot of the queer, <laughs> the playlist that I have like right now is majority BIPOC queer characters, which represent exactly who I am because I do identify with both of those uh, communities. But going back to uh, the media I consume, I wholeheartedly agree. I will skip things if I'm just like, you know what, this isn't really, th I'm not the audience. And even as a mixed person who I am part white, I'm like, yeah, bunch of white people, but also like, I'm not represented because I don't look like these white people. Like it's, um, and like, it's still getting that sort of sense of pride when you see someone like, oh my God, you kind of look like me and you like match this sort of thing. So like in shows, like the one that I keep thinking of right now is a show like Sex Education where yes, it is like targeted a lot more towards white people, but seeing Ola in the second season or no, 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 first season. Second season is when she figures out that she's pansexual. Which also, side note, what the hell test was she taking? Where she's like, oh, it says I'm pansexual. I was like, where was that? I needed that like 10 years ago. I had to it's like one of those BuzzFeed quizzes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what were you doing? I was like, hmm, what kind of sandwich are you? Like, how did you find that? 
that could have helped me. That could have saved me so many years. But also, just her character being a BIPOC individual who is also pansexual and also not, like, not perfect, but also not falling into too many stereotypes. Like, I cherish her, even though she isn't exactly a mixed or Latinx individual. Um, I do cherish just that representation of this is a person of color and they also are representing my sexuality specifically but yeah I notice now that I will skip like and eh, how many white people one two three seven that's too many I'm gonna skip that <laughs> like this, there's only one uh, person of color and they're a side character I'm gonna skip you I sorry I'm like trying to pull up like my Netflix and uh, HBO Max because those are the ones I watch most um and it's interesting because I'm, I'm looking at the ones that have been, or like shows that have been on my, um, like on my watch later list for such a long time. And it is a lot of, uh, you know, what, what, what you mentioned, Mahek, of, you know, being made specifically for white audiences. And I'm mainly thinking about um, Criminal Minds, <laughs> um, just because, you know, that, that's the one that just constantly comes to mind because um, we have Shamar Moore, who's an alumni of SU, and it's like, I keep seeing it, and I'm like, I should watch it, but also I don't want to. Like, it, it's very weird. Uh, and because let's see, what else do I have on here? Um, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I feel like that's, uh, you know, also a little bit more catered for uh, white people, and it's just, I, I keep looking at this, and it's like, I'm skipping a lot of stuff, um, and I'm looking at, oh my, I'm looking now at, like, what I've watched recently, um, and the number one thing has been the entirety of the Spy Kids trilogy, um, <laughs> so, not I, to interrupt you, but also, Junie Carmichael was my first crush, <laughs> it, no, I mean, well, honestly, yes. Absolute badasses. You you can't deny that. Um, but it's very interesting because it's like, yeah, I um a lot of it, I, I feel like I'm just starting to, you know, do it subconsciously, but there is a lot of stuff that I'm starting to skip over. Um, because I've also been really, really getting into pose. Um, and it kind of, again, gets to the kind of intersectionality because there was this one scene I remember in the first season where the, the main characters who are black and trans um, are trying to get into this gay bar, but they are constantly being, you know, refused service and they're constantly being thrown out because the majority of the patrons are gay white men. Um, so it's like that it kind of ties into as well a little bit of, you know, transphobia, um, but, yeah, media is very, very interesting. Now, heck, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because I'm I'm about to start thinking more critically about what I'm watching. Wait, now, let me I... take it one <laughs> step further because when I was thinking about this topic and like really deconstructing like these things that again start subconsciously when you start to become aware of these phenomena, and then you like actually are like, oh yeah, actually that's intentional. I was starting to think like how much streaming services are impacting the increasing representation that we're seeing as opposed to only having cable. Like I think back to when Friends was big, which like 
I don't know if I was alive for because I definitely like rewatched it. But when Friends and shows like in Seinfeld and all these shows were big, all people had was cable. And so all of these companies who were producing these shows were catering to white audiences and people were just taking it and people of color and queer people and all these people with marginalized identities that are not represented on the show would just still consume the show. But now that we have all these different streaming services, all these independent projects, movies, shows that are being funded and produced, we have more options. And that's why we feel like, okay, we don't have to watch Friends. We don't have to watch, probably why Omar, you didn't watch you because we have more options now and people are putting money into things that maybe aren't the mainstream. And that is definitely also increasing like the representation that we get on screen because more people have access and more people can create smaller projects to cater to smaller audiences. It's interesting because, sorry, uh, Anissa, I know you, you were hoping to talk. Um, just one real quick point that I'm, I'm now thinking of is like, um, Meha, to, to what you're talking about, like, is it helpful, but then also is it, you know, maybe harmful? Because one thing that I immediately comes to mind is the kissing booth, um, which I, Mehak, you just rolled your eyes. No, and, but I'm, I'm in the same, uh, I'm in the same boat. I watched the first one and I was like, okay, this is kind of cute, but it's cheesy as hell. Um, and they bankrolled two more, which I'm like, was this really necessary? I just have very strong feelings about Kissing Booth, but if, um, again, like kind of seeing it now through, through this critical lens, um, all of the characters are white. Um, and so, you know, again, we do get maybe like, what, what's one good uh, example, again, thinking of Netflix, um, the, to all the boys, like to all the boys trilogy where that features, you know, an Asian Pacific uh, main character, which, you know, is great, but then it's also like, kind of like, again, uh, Kissing Booth has had much, much, much more success than to all the boys. So I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's an actual question in here, but I'm just like, I'm, it's curious to think about like, are we doing good or are we doing harm when, you know, now the streaming services are themselves in charge of production as well. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that goes back to both what, what Mahek had brought up and also like, how can we create it so that we're, there is more representation? One, just demanding it. Say, like, sign petitions, do, like, do active work to get them out there, but also be mindful of what you're streaming. Like, don't always go to, just because something's popular in media, like Kissing Booth, I actually never watch it, so <laughs> I was like, this is where I, I step out, because I didn't, that's I've good, never seen that's it. That's good, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm all, okay, I'm gonna brush it aside, but, um, like, paying it, like, this entire conversation, where we're like, we're paying attention to what we're watching now, so give that audience, recommend it to other people, recommend it to even white people, like, hey, you should watch this show because it's really good, like, and it represents me, or it represents this whole community, or just the show's good in general, because there's so many undervalued, like you said, Omar, undervalued movies and TV shows that people just overlook because they're like, eh, it's not the stereotypical white cast that I'm used to. So just reaching out, saying and actually doing the work 
watch shows that represent people accurately and represent people in general. And that is one way that we can keep them reoccurring, get more seasons, get more sequels, get more shows like that. Like pay attention to what you're watching and how it's portraying. It, the first thing that comes into my mind is Squid Game and Parasite. Sorry to bring up Squid Game. I know there's already so much content everywhere I look about that. But for me, thinking about families across America, across the world, watching a show that is fully in another language and having to read subtitles and enjoying the content like brings me so much joy because I grew up watching movies and shows from a different country. And it's like, finally, people are starting to realize that maybe there's value in those shows too, and those movies too. And of course, it's a whole other conversation to talk about how people are like surprised that it's good. But I just think like there definitely is some positive diversification of people's viewing habits and like media consumption and I think it's for the best and one thing that us like people with those marginalized identities can do is just encourage that and keep that momentum going and yeah recommend things to other people who may not have come across it on their own and get people talking about being intentional about their media consumption. Exactly. Okay, so I am noticing that we are coming in a close on our time. So I just want to uh, ask if you like, ask y'all how you felt this conversation was, and also give some updates as far as um, things that OML and RRC are doing in the future, promoting that sort of stuff, um, including stuff with this podcast. But before I go into that sort of stuff, I'm going to let y'all branch off and like, what are you doing? What's going on for y'all? And how did you like this first episode so far? <laughs> Um, I think this was a great conversation. I came into it not really knowing what to expect. And I had a great time. I think I learned a lot. I hope everyone listening learned a lot. Um, I'm excited to see what other things we make for this show and where it goes for the rest of the year, guys. Yeah, going off of that, um, I I want to thank you both for enlightening me enlightening me on uh, the show that is you. I still don't know if I want to watch it at this point, um, <laughs> but um, no, it's very very interesting just to hear you both. Um, and again, just like as someone who has, I think I watched like one episode and I was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's very interesting. And also, again, heck, I have to thank you because now I'm definitely going to be like paying more attention to the media I consume because it's like I, there's probably a lot of like trends where I, you know, maybe skip or not listen to something, but subconsciously I don't pay attention to it. But now, now I'm going to be paying attention. Um, but yes, oh my gosh, thank you both for such an awesome and uh, enlightening conversation. Yeah, seriously, Mac. I'm just like, I'm going through every list of shows that I like repeatedly watch too. And I'm like, oh my God, that one, that one, that one, or I'm going to remove this that one. Thought, that thought is going to be thought. following you around. Yeah. Oh my God. It's going to, there's an actual like cognitive term for it. 
but I won't go and get into the whole psychology aspect of it because my brain's tired. <laughs> but, but that is definitely something that I'm going to keep in mind and that our viewers should keep in mind as well. Pay attention to what your content is and recommend things that bring out more content from the things you want to see and the people that you want to see. Um, so I just want to wrap up by saying thank you all for viewing this first episode. Uh, I also want to let you know that if you want to be a part of the episode, maybe being a guest, maybe just answering questions or even recommending a type of show that you want to see from us, uh, I am going to be linking in our Instagram as well as below in the description a Google form for y'all to fill out with stuff that you can put. You can ask questions to us. You can tell your own story. You can ask to be a part of the podcast itself. And you can also recommend things. So go ahead and fill out that Google form. Make sure to follow us. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Spotify, and anywhere, and YouTube, because we are now also, in addition, which I should have said from the beginning, going to be showing this visually as well. Uh, so a visual podcast, a listening podcast, just consume it all, y'all. Like, consume us. Get us out there so that you can see more faces like this. <laughs> Anything y'all want to add that's going on uh, around campus for RC or OML? Yeah, I mean, just stay tuned in on our Instagram, constant updates, um, you know, just follow us maybe, we're always reposting, resharing, come to our events, we love to have people there, new faces, old faces, and talk about OML, talk about RRC. Yeah, and kind of on the, the other end, because again, the heck, you are part of uh, OML specifically, I am RRC, we are hoping to kind of uh, renew our presence on campus. Um, I, I will say um, before the, the pandemic Lovato that um, we're still in, uh, the, the RRC space was actually closed for majority of the school year. It was barely open for about a week or two before um, everything shut down again. So we're, I just want to say I'm, I'm excited. We have lots of cool things in store uh, to kind of revitalize the space. Um, we're trying to get, you know, our digital footprint out there a little bit more. We have a TikTok now. Um, definitely be on the lookout for stuff like that. Um, but then other than that, um, not sure when exactly this uh, episode will be going out, but we do have a few Halloween events coming up, especially for our 10th anniversary, which is exactly on Halloween, which is very exciting, um, including like a founders panel, costume contests, um, some Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, perhaps. What? It's crazy. Um, but yes, definitely uh, be on the lookout for more stuff from the RRC. We are about to be everywhere. At least that's the plan. <laughs> All right, and to sign out, once again, my name is Anissa. Uh, thank you for watching, and Omar and Mahek, you can also say your goodbyes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we hope you come back. Yes, thank you, everyone, for listening. You, uh, you better come back, is what I'm going to say. Um, no, that is not a threat. That is just very forceful marketing. Uh, but no, but for real though, we do hope that you all uh, stay tuned for more podcasts in the future and events and everything. We're just very excited for the school year. <laughs>
All right. This has been the first episode of Word on the Street. Thank you for joining and come back again soon.